0: NCC, can I just say it's good to be back in the house, and I am, I'm so excited to be back. Um, If it's your first time, or maybe you've come the past few weeks, and I haven't had a chance to personally meet you yet, my name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church, and in case you didn't know, a few weeks ago I had surgery, and so I've been really on bed rest the past couple of weeks. Sarah has had to lock me in the house, because I was going a little stir crazy, but I've been worshiping online, but I want to tell you, I missed being here in person and just being around you guys. So, so glad that I'm able to be back this Sunday morning and be with you um, here in person. And for everyone worshiping online as well, we're so glad that you're with us and that you're joining in. And we're continuing our series on Jonah. So this is a series of conversations we're having where we're walking through a book of the Bible and where we're looking at the life um, of a man named Jonah And so this is week two. Pastor Caleb kicked it off last week, and we're going to look at the second chapter of this um, book this week. You know, starting off early in our marriage, my wife Sarah and I quickly realized we each had unique gifts that we brought to the marriage. Um, I'm the more adventurous risk taker. I make sure our family experiences new things. Sarah makes sure that we are organized. She's very detailed. She makes sure that everything is functioning in our house exactly as it needs to be. So you can imagine her response when I came home from um, a pastor's get-together and I said, Sarah, I just heard about a way where I can get a brand new Apple MacBook that's like $1,600, I can get that for just about $300. And she's looking at me like, did you get scammed or what's going on here? And I'm like, no. So there's there's kind of this promotional thing, and you have to invest a little bit of money, but you do these subscriptions and these surveys, and at the end you get to choose this prize And my friends had already gotten a couple of MacBook Pros this way. And the guy's detailed. So he had this whole spreadsheet of when to start, when to stop, because you had to kind of follow this timeline. Sarah looks at me and says, I don't think this is a good idea. And you guys, I go into pastor mode. I'm like vision casting this thing. Like, think about how amazing this will be. And we'll be able to do this. And I can work from home. I won't have to be at the church as much. Like, this will be so awesome. Sarah looks at me and says, Aaron, I trust you. I don't think this is a wise idea, but... You know, I support you in this. And so I jump into it, you guys. I'm doing it. I'm working the system. Like, I've got this thing down. I'm investing money, and I'm doing everything according to plan. And then summer hits. And we have student discipleship. We have summer camps. We have a leadership retreat. And so you're probably not going to be surprised when at the end of summer I get this email from this company. It says, the promotional time has ended, and you have not completed your tasks. You are no longer eligible for these prizes. And you guys, I had to go to Sarah, and I'm just going to be honest, these are words I love to hear, but I hate to say, okay? I love to hear these, I hate to say them, Sarah, you were right, I was wrong, and I am sorry, okay? Some of you guys, if you've been in any kind of relationship, have probably had to say that at some point, I was wrong, you were right, and I am sorry, I don't know about you, but I don't personally like admitting when I'm wrong and saying I'm sorry. And let me tell you, being married 20 some years, I've had a lot of practice, Okay, But saying I'm sorry is so difficult. There are times, um, some of you guys that are parents, you need to know this, where I have to go to my kids and apologize. You can ask my kids where I have to tell them, hey, I'm dad, but I am not perfect. And I messed up there and I need you to forgive me. And I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have reacted like that. And I have to tell my kids, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not perfect, I messed up. There are times where I make my kids say that they're sorry, maybe they're their siblings or someone else, and they look at me like I'm speaking a different language. Does anyone get this right? Like they can hear me, but they're not connecting what I'm actually saying because it's so difficult for all of us as humans to say we're sorry, to actually admit we're wrong, we messed up, like we shouldn't have done that. And to say, I'm sorry, is a really difficult thing. And so this morning, we're going to look at what it means when you don't just have to look at another person, but what happens when you have to look at God and say, I'm sorry. And we're going to look at a moment in the life of Jonah where he has to admit, God, I've messed up, and I've done things wrong, and I need to apologize. I've done this wrong, and I'm sorry, God. And through this kind of conversation Jonah has with God, we start to understand something about our relationship with God and what it looks like when we have those similar situations in our life. Now, in case you've never really read the Bible or you're new to church, that's okay. I'm going to give us a little catch-up and and kind of give us a quick snapshot of where we're at. So I'm going to bring you up to date on this story, where we're at. And you may have even heard this guy, even if you've never read his story. This is the person in the Bible who we're told was swallowed by a large fish. Okay, so hence the image that we have here up on the screen. This is the guy that was swallowed by a large fish And Pastor Caleb did an amazing job. Can we give him a hand last week for kicking off the series? And if you missed that message, I need you to hear this. You have got to go back and listen to it, okay? Um, because he really set the tone and he gave a more detailed picture than I'm even going to give this morning. But a quick um, picture is Jonah was a prophet, and that means he was someone who declared the word of the Lord. And there's a moment in the life of Jonah where God says, go to the city of Nineveh, which was a very wicked people. Go to Nineveh and deliver a message that I'm giving them. And Jonah said, no way I'm going to do that. He had a personal preference against those people. And so he heads off in the opposite direction. He buys a ticket, gets on a boat or a ship, and he sails out to sea to then what would have kind of been the furthest point on the map, kind of like the end of the map of the then-known world. That's where Jonah is heading to. And a storm comes, and Jonah realizes, I've run from God. And the sailors on that boat throw him over over the side of that ship. And that's kind of where we pick up the story of Jonah today. And so the end of chapter 1 says this. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Jonah chapter 1, verse 14 is what this is. It says this, After Jonah's thrown over the side of the ship, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish, Three days and three nights. Now, this morning, we're going to look at chapter 2, but I knew this. We can't skip over the last verse of chapter 1. Because if you're like me, I would sit through this entire message thinking, what in the world kind of crazy story is this in the Bible? Like, what is going on here? And I wouldn't even be able to focus. And so I need us to understand something, yeah, kind of about chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, and even what chapter 2 is about. So I did some research this week. Here's a couple of things that are good to remember when we're reading the scriptures. The first is that this was written in the Hebrew language, okay? And this was written somewhere around like, I think, 780 B.C. to about 740-ish B.C., somewhere kind of a little bit on both sides of that time frame. This is when Jonah was written. There were not marine biologists. You may be surprised by that, but there were not a lot of marine scientists at that point. So many times in ancient cultures, they would use a category to describe things that they didn't have specific names or didn't have specific understandings for. So a large fish, when you read that, I don't want you to think going out to Lake Ray Hubbard and catching a catfish that's really big, okay? That's not what that's like. It's probably not even like going to the ocean and catching like a marlin or a large sized tuna. This could have been a whale, it could have been another giant sea creature if you've ever read that. Like they use those categories to describe a lot of things that they may not have had specific terms for. So I started looking, and I was pretty amazed because some of the larger um, marine animals and marine mammals have stomach cavities up to about 10 feet. Okay? I didn't know that, but I discovered that. Now, if you're claustrophobic, thinking of being in a 10-foot enclosed area makes you start to sweat right now. I understand that, okay? Um, But it is physically possible. I mean, think of maybe of a 10-foot room, or if you have a walk-in closet that's maybe about that size, like you could fit in that, so it is physically possible um, for a person to be inside of the stomach of a large sea creature. Then I started reading, like, how's this ever happened? Craziest thing, June of last year, this happened. So there was a lobster diver. I didn't know that was an occupation, but I guess it is. So off the northeast coast um, of the United States, there was a lobster diver named Michael Packard in his early 40s, And this is his job. He dives down and gets fresh lobster and brings them up and then sells them to restaurants. So he's doing this when all of a sudden what he describes is this rush of water and then total blackness is what he experiences. And then other people that were witnessing this said they saw a large whale surface, shake back and forth, and then vomit out all of this stuff. And along with that, it vomited out Michael Packard. He was rushed to the hospital, and I want to give you his quote because it's very similar to part of the account that we see in Jonah. This is what he says. I was completely inside of the beast, and it was completely black. Packard said, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of this. I'm done, and I'm dead. All I could think of were my boys. They're 12, and they're 15 years old, and I wondered if I would ever see them again. My craziest story that this happened And so scientists, uh, it was like a CNN article, were commenting on this, and they said whales are not typically aggressive towards humans, but as they're consuming the large amount that they have to consume, many times other things that they don't typically consume, they will consume, and then when they don't like it, they will spew those things out, okay? So if you don't know, that's kind of similar to the story of Jonah, so it's physically possible, okay? So I need you to know that as we walk into this story, but I also need you to know this. Many times, this is where we get caught up in the story. This large fish. And we make this entire book like, oh, this is the purpose. Like, God's trying to convince us of this really crazy thing that happened of this guy getting swallowed by a large fish. And people that don't believe the Bible will argue, this is why you can't trust the Bible. This is crazy. Science doesn't back this up. And then other people will argue, no, no, this could actually happen. And they'll look up stories like I just told you. Look, it really actually happens. Like... And this is where we get caught up. But let me tell you this. This is not the purpose of this book. And I need you to understand this. The main character of this book is not a large fish or some kind of sea creature. And the main character of this story is not even Jonah. At best, he wins the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, okay? The main person in this story is Yahweh. It is God. And the writer of this story, and you need to know this to really understand chapter 2, you need to know who the main character is. It is God. And as he's telling us the story of God, we begin to see the mercy of God, the compassion of God. And through the life of Jonah, this person that actually lived, this prophet that lived around 780 B.C., through his life, we begin to see some reflections of our story and our interaction with God and what we can assume And know about the character of God through the life of Jonah. But the main focus in all of this is who Yahweh is. And what our response should be to God in the midst of this. So as we recognize that, the fish is not the main character, not even Jonah. But Yahweh is, as we get into chapter 2, the prayer of Jonah starts to make a little bit more sense. And we can understand it differently. Now, as I looked at this, and if you you have your Bibles open to Jonah chapter 2, there may be some header there that says, Jonah's prayer or Jonah's repentance prayer, or something like that. But really, that word repentance is this idea of what I mentioned at the beginning of the message, those moments where we have to come to God and say, I was wrong, you were right, and I'm sorry. I was wrong, you were right, and I'm sorry. Now, I need you to understand this. I try not to do this too much, but as I looked at this, like, what was this like for Jonah? What did Jonah understand that to be? I found, like, What's the kind of Hebrew word? Because that's the language this was written in. And that word of repentance, this crying out, Jonah saying, I'm, I'm sorry, were two words together. So it was sheen bayet. Okay, sheen bayet. Turn to the person next to you, because that's fun to say, and say, sheen bayet. Okay? And what that was is that was a compound word in the Hebrew language and in the Hebrew culture. And they were two words. And the first word, sheen, simply meant this destruction. Something being consumed, something being kind of brought down to rubble, something being burned or taken down to ash, that was sheen. But yet it was your house, your tent, kind of in their culture, your dwelling place. That's where you resided. But these two words coming together developed this concept of repentance or saying, I'm sorry, in this. It was this idea that where you've been living. Now, they're not talking about physically, like your physical address, but where has your mind been? What are your mental thoughts and your mental patterns like? What's your behavior and what's your attitude? Because that place that you've been dwelling to really say I'm sorry and repent means that it is destroyed, it's consumed, it's burned up. You can no longer dwell there. You have to move on to the presence of God and to where God is calling you to. This prayer that Jonah prays is this idea of God. Where I have been at in my mindset and my attitude towards you and others, I can't stay there any longer, God. I've got to move to a new place. I've got to start to dwell somewhere else. Sheen Bayet, repentance, God. I don't want to live there any longer. I want to move closer to your presence and what it is that you're calling me to. So we need to understand that as we get into Jonah's prayer and begin to look at what is this conversation that he has with God as he's saying, I'm sorry. And the first thing that we see, this idea of repentance or saying, I'm sorry, repentance is recognizing we can't fix ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. Now, you see this in this prayer, and I want to encourage you this week to go back and read the entirety of Jonah chapter 2. I don't have time to do that this morning. I'm going to highlight a few things that we see from this conversation. But the first thing that we see, kind of the intro to this prayer or this conversation, Jonah says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the depth in the realm of the dead. I called for help. Where Jonah starts is I can't get out of this situation on my own. Now, that may seem logical. You're like, of course, the dude's in the belly of a giant fish. Like, how do you get out of the belly of a big fish? In the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, like sea, how does that even happen? But you have to once again remember, the fish is not the main character. And the only problem in this story is not that Jonah's trapped in the belly of this fish. It's he's now outside of relationship with Yahweh. He's outside of relationship with God. And what he's saying is, not only can I not change where I'm at physically, God, I can't alter where I'm at spiritually on my own. I can't fix myself, Yahweh. I desperately need your help. See, repentance and saying I'm sorry acknowledges I can't do this on my own. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm just going to be honest, I struggle with this. It may be the kind of church that I grew up in and the mindset I grew up in, I really believed growing up, God loved me more when I did good and he loved me less when I did bad. And so I fight this mentality when I mess up. I want to push God aside. And I want to get my life fixed over here. And I want to try to make everything right. And I want to do some good stuff to make up for it. Then I want to come back to God and say, look, my life is okay, God. Don't you love me? Like, don't you accept me now? Like, I got rid of that bad stuff. And I've done a lot of good stuff. So now, of course, you have to love me. I not only do that with God, I try to do that with other people. If I mess up before I come apologize... I want to do some really good stuff to make up for it. And then I want to come and say, look, I fixed it. I made it right. But I need you to hear this this morning. There is no such thing as Christian karma. It doesn't work. You can't do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff and somehow end up on the other side of this life with a better life. A matter of fact, the story of scripture is we are broken people and we can't fix ourselves. Like you can't do enough good stuff and there is no way we can make up for our rebellion against God. And that's what Jonah is admitting. God, I need help. I've messed up our relationship. I was a prophet. I was your messenger and I ended up running from you and I can't fix my relationship on my own. I can't try to do some good stuff. God, I am crying out to you because I need you. Repentance and saying I'm sorry recognizes God, I can't fix this on my own. And you guys, we have to acknowledge that. Now, I want to talk to those of you in the room that have been following Jesus for a little bit. Because we can hear a message like this. And sometimes I even get emails like, Pastor Aaron, we need more messages on repentance. You need to preach more messages like that. Because there's some really messed up people out there, right? Like, I look at the news and this group or these people doing this, like they need to hear this. And maybe you're even in your mind thinking, yep, I'm going to send this to that family member or that co-worker, I wish they would have come to church this morning. Look at the first person who has to repent. It's not the messed up people in Nineveh. It's the messenger of God. And you guys, before we start assuming repentance is for that person out there, repentance is for this specific sin, we have to stop being self-righteous and understand Jonah had to get to that place. Of saying, God, they don't just need it. I need it, Lord. I've messed up and I can't fix this on my own. And God, I am a broken person and I desperately need your help. Saying, I'm sorry, recognizes that I'm not good enough on my own. And God, I'm crying out to you because I need your help. I am desperate for you, God. I need you to step in and intervene. That's where Jonah is at. So repentance is declaring that, God, I can't fix myself. I need your help. Repentance is also this, it's recognizing where sin leads us. Recognizing where sin leads us. This is in the middle of Jonah's prayer where he cries out, To the roots of the mountain I sank down, and the earth beneath me barred me in forever. Now once again, set the fish aside for a moment. Jonah's also talking about his spiritual condition And he comes to this moment where he's willing to acknowledge, God, you did not do this to me. How many times is it easy for us to mess up? And if you've ever been around kids, as soon as you say, hey, who did this? It was my brother's. It was my sister's fault, right? If someone else's. like, we're so quick to do that. But repentance is coming to that moment saying, God, I can't point the fingers at someone else. God, my sin and where I'm at is because of my decisions. And Lord, I'm willing to admit that. Jonah finally is willing to admit in this prayer of repentance of saying, I'm sorry to God. God, you're not at fault here. I am. This was my rebellion. And this is what I did that caused me to be where I'm at. In this broken relationship with you, in this devastating place, God, this is where I find myself because of the decisions that I've made, because of my rebellion to you. And so repentance always carries with it. That recognition of God, this is where my sin leads me to. Now, I need you to hear this because many times we don't say this. Sin is fun. Yep, you guys are quiet because you're like, you can't say that in church. But I'm telling you, it is like most of the sin that the Bible talks about in the moment. Like it has, it feels this like momentary gratification in this momentary reward. And I know some of you guys are freaking out right now. But I'm just, we're just going to be honest this morning like it does. But you also need to know this. Sin always has a payday. And that payday is death and destruction and pain. And I need you to hear this. You're not the only one that has to pay the price. You read this story of Jonah, him recognizing this is where my sin is led. And I need you to hear this for a moment. It seemed good. Jonah is having the vacation of his life. He's on the Mediterranean Seas. He's eating the all-you-can-eat buffet, you guys. He's sunbathing out on the ship, right? You read the end of chapter 1. What's he doing? He's out sleeping in the bottom of the ship like this is the ultimate vacation. It seems like I'm running from God and everything is okay until it's not. And the storm hits. And he has to admit, God, I've disobeyed you. And the guys throw him over the side of the ship. And now he's in the belly of a large fish. But his sin not only affected him, there were other sailors that were in danger because Jonah said, I'm going to do this my own way. And you guys, we don't like to admit that, but I'm here to tell you your sin, as much as you think you hide it, as much as you think someone else doesn't know about it, they may not be able to pinpoint why it is, but that relationship feels off because you have sin inside of your life or because the sin that is present in that relationship Sin always has a payday, and that payday is destruction. And in order to say, I'm sorry, in order to repent, it means we have to admit, God, this isn't you punishing me. My sin has consequences. And there is spiritual death and destruction that comes when I choose to rebel against you, God, or when I choose to say, God, I've got this figured out. I'm going to do this my own way. It will always have a payday. And Jonah's finally able to admit, and he's willing to admit, God, I'm barred in, like I'm surrounded and I've been swallowed, God, and I am at where I'm at because I have rebelled against you. God, I'm going to own my stuff. I'm going to. This is where I'm at, God. I'm sorry. And that has to be a part of repentance where we stop getting angry at God, where we stop blaming God for the sin in our life, for our choice to rebel against him. And we admit, God, I have to own this. And I've got to say, I'm sorry. And Lord, I understand where my sin is going to get me. And not only where it's going to get me, but the destruction it's going to bring in others' life. At the end of this verse, we see this. Repentance is calling out to Yahweh, who is our salvation. Repentance is calling out to Yahweh, calling out to God. God, you are our salvation. Now, when Jonah, excuse me, when Jonah gets to the end of this prayer, look at this, what he says, but I will shout, but I, with shouts of gratitude and praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now, you need to understand if you know the story of Jonah and if not, spoiler alert, In just a little bit, he's going to get thrown up, just like Michael Packard did from the whale. He's going to get thrown out onto dry land, spit up by this fish and be back on dry land. But Jonah doesn't know that when he's praying this prayer. He doesn't know the end of the story like you and I may. And yet in the midst of his circumstances, he's not saying salvation is when I make it back to dry land. He's saying, God, you're my salvation. God, you're what I'm hoping for. I'm not hoping that you wave some magic wand and make all my bad decisions go away. God, my trust is in you, that your mercy and your compassion will be enough for my life. I will declare that you are my savior, that you're the one that rescues me. And so whether that's a few moments I have left in the belly of this fish or however many days I have left, God, I am going to declare your goodness and I'm going to cry out that you are the one who saves me, and who rescues me. Repentance is acknowledging that. God, you're my salvation. I'm not doing this to get out of the circumstance I'm in. I'm not making this declaration somehow to get out of the consequences of the decision that I've made. Lord, I am trusting that you are what I need in my life. You're my salvation. To say I'm sorry means that we're not just hoping the bad decision goes away, or somehow we don't get in trouble. It's saying, God, you are what I've been looking for all along. You're my salvation, God. And so that's what I'm going to declare. And that's the song that I'm going to sing. And that's the prayer that I'm going to pray, God, that I can trust in you. Can I tell you this? If you live any amount of time, there are going to be moments where you have to come to God and say, I've messed up. I'm wrong. You're right, God, and I'm sorry. And that repentance, that prayer should carry with it this acknowledgement of, God, I can't fix this on my own. I can't try to do enough good stuff to outweigh the bad stuff. God, I realize that this sin is going to lead to death or destruction or it's going to lead to brokenness in my life and in those around me. And God, you're what I'm hoping for. You're what I'm trusting in. And throughout this story, even as I was reading this this week and just seeing the goodness of God, I'm constantly amazed at a God who does not write us off when we mess up. When we run away, he even provides the way back to him. This is a God who will not give up on you, church, no matter how bad you messed up. He keeps pursuing us and he overwhelms us with his love, with his goodness. And so, once again, the writer of this story, he's not writing. So you and I are kind of amazed that, God, you protected a guy in the middle of a large fish's belly and you got him back to dry land. He's doing this to ask the question, wait, where do you need to repent? Where in your life are you running away from God and maybe blaming God or blaming others? Where in your life are you trying to fix your bad decisions on your own? And you need a moment to reflect and say, God, you're my salvation. And that's the response that this story brings us to. And so I want us to just take a moment. We're not going to take long, but I'm going to stop talking in a moment. And this may be new to you, but I just want you to reflect God, have I run away from you at any place in my life? Is there an area that's hidden that I'm trying to do this on my own, but it's messing up my life, God? And this morning, I need to say, I'm sorry. And I just need a moment to let you know, God, I want you in my life. And so we're going to do that. I'm just going to be quiet. John's going to continue to play on the keys. And I just want you to listen to God and just kind of internally have that conversation. Be honest. If you know that area, say, this is it, God, I'm sinning. But I want you to know this morning, I'm sorry. Let's take a moment and reflect together. God, this morning, we just acknowledge it may be different for each of us, Lord, but there may be moments where we rebel against you or where we're trying to do things our own way. And God, this morning, we just admit we can't fix that on our own, God, and we know that that kind of behavior, that kind of attitude, it will destroy us, God. So we want to leave where we've been dwelling at and we want to move closer to you, God, And so I pray in different ways this week, God, speak to us, encourage us, remind us, Holy Spirit, convict us where we need that, that we would have an attitude of repentance, God, and be able to say, I'm sorry, Lord, and move closer to where you're at. So do that. I pray this morning, God, I want to lead us in one more prayer. And this time we're not going to pray by ourselves, but we're going to all pray this together. and We're going to say this out loud. You may be here this morning. And you may be new to church or maybe someone invited you and you're worshiping with us online. And as you've heard this story, you're thinking, Aaron, that's like my life. Like right now, I know there's some decisions that are messing up my life. Or maybe I'm not running towards God, but I feel like I'm running away. And this last prayer that we're going to say together, it simply admits that. It says, God, I've sinned. I've tried to do things my own way. And I don't want to do that anymore, God. God. And so this prayer just invites God into our life to give us a brand new start and to say, God, I can't fix it on my own. I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my Lord. And if that's you, we're all going to pray this together. I want to encourage you, say it out loud with us. And I believe this, that as we pray this, that God begins to work, as we admit that he begins to work on the inside of our life where we can't always see and begins to do something new inside of us. And I believe that, that when we pray that prayer and we mean that in our heart, that there is a spiritual shift, like in Jonah's life. There's a new beginning that begins to happen as we invite Christ into a relationship inside of our life. So we're all going to say this together, even if you're at home by yourself. I want to encourage you, pray this out loud because we don't want anyone praying this by themselves. So repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you. I admit that I've sinned. I've done things my own way. And I want to change. So I invite you into my life. Be the savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a brand new start. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, church, can you just put your hands together and celebrate for anyone that prayed that prayer? If you said that for the first time or if you've been disconnected from God, I want you to know this. We're celebrating with you. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing when even just one person prays that prayer and acknowledges that. And I want you to know this morning, if you meant that and God is doing something new in your life, and I believe he is, we don't want you walking this out alone. And so if you will take a moment and go just to our website, newcommunity.co slash new life and let us know, hey, I prayed that prayer, Aaron. I've been disconnected from God, but this morning I'm starting something new. I want to have a relationship with Jesus, we want to reach out to you and cheer you on and encourage you and help you so that you're not having to do this alone. We don't think anyone should have to figure out how to be a Christian by themselves. So we want to walk alongside of you. So I want to encourage you. It's really simple. Take a moment. Go there. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. We believe this. God is doing something amazing in your life, and we want to walk with you as you begin this relationship with Jesus. Thank you.